Hey guys, this is Alex, and welcome to the Two Dudes Brews Interviews Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about the Spike Jones-directed romantic drama from 2013, Her. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing to the podcast, give us a rating, and maybe even tell your friends about us. With that being said, we hope you enjoy the show. We're drinking, um, what is this, a uh, heart state? We're drinking, um, a strawberry creamsicle sour, and it is, uh, titled Ache. It's the closest thing we could get mm-hmm. to a, uh, a tie-in to the movie. Yeah, we don't have too much, I don't feel like we have much to, we don't need to bullshit beforehand. Nothing's changed. No, not a goddamn thing. We're watching Breaking Bad, that's it. Yeah. It's good, everyone knows. I went to Columbus for a day, and... There's, like, nothing to say about it. Heroin was also there. <laughs> um, I'm sure it was. <laughs> Didn't see any, but, yeah. Yeah, we're uh, we're doing Her. This is my suggestion. I'm really excited. I didn't even watch the movie before I suggested it. What got you thinking about this movie? My brother. He just texted me one day and was just, you should listen to this. Or, listen, you should watch this and uh, maybe do it for the podcast sometime soon. And I'm like, you know, I've never really, like, taken a suggestion from Blake before for the podcast. And I was like, uh, he listens, and I'm pretty sure he listens to the vast majority episodes. I'm like, I owe him one. And I've been wanting to watch this movie for a long time, so I was like, you know what? My next suggestion, it should be this. It would be uh, really interesting. You wanted to do it. I did. This was probably going to be the one that I would have recommended tonight. And now I'm in a existential crisis about what I am going to recommend. So we'll get there. Yeah. Good. Those are always fun. You kind of have like a mixed bag sometimes, and we pull out like Roger Rabbit, and that's fun. Yeah. I like, I really didn't really know a whole lot about the film before I walked into it, other than that the dude falls in love with his phone, or if you're memeing it up, like the dude fucks his phone type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Fucks an AI. Falls in love with Siri. I think that was the headlines that were kind of surrounding the film when it first came out. Kind of gimmicky, like the mm-hmm. the girl that fucks the car from mm-hmm. like the ton. Yeah, this movie's a lot more than that. A whole lot more. We'll be we'll be uh, pulling uh, similarities uh, tonally to, to Ton at some points, I would say. Oh, for sure. This is like the first time we've really tackled like a romance genre. That's true. Usually we're here to complain about the romance subplot in movies. Yeah. Most of the time they're done poorly. And I don't think we've really focused on a film that even kind of puts that in the forefront of like character development or moves a plot forward in any way. We're usually like, hey man, remember that time that guy's, he like gets his face blown <laughs> off or something? Like it's something stupid. Yeah. Like Ranger Rick and the girl fucks the car and remember that Adam Sandler, he's on a cruise ship. We're never talking about relationships, really. And this is interesting. Uh, this is uh, this will bring out a side of us I'm sure we've never brought out before. But I'm typically not the romance movie kind of guy. I think this is probably one of the top two or three that I've ever seen. I think it's mm. up there with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yeah. Mind or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would, yeah, I guess. I, I'm trying to think of like romance films that I've seen that the vast majority of those that I've seen have been like with my with my fiance and we're, it's like a Sunday afternoon lull. You know, you kind of throw mm-hmm. something on Netflix that she's like, oh, I saw this and she'd seen it when she's 14 and she's like, yeah, it's really good. And I guess maybe, yeah, Eternal Sunshine. In terms of like character exploration, mm-hmm. I don't think many come close to that or this movie. I was going to say it's it's mostly just high schooly. what's the one, Crazy Stupid Love, but I really like categorize that more as like a, a comedy, yeah, like a romance comedy, a rom-com, and those never really like stick with me. I mean, that's a great, that's honestly like one of the best rom-coms that I have seen. I like that one, but like The Big Sick, you ever seen that? Mm-mm. I think it's like an Amazon original. That's a good romantic comedy movie. Uh, La La Land? 
I've never seen La La Land all the way through, and I know that's also, like... Neither have I. I know my brother really likes that movie, too. Isn't that from the director of Whiplash? I believe so. It's really weird that neither of us have seen that then, considering how, like, fucking awesome Whiplash is. Oh, it's the best. But yeah, let's, uh, let's open it up. You know, I, I tried to get Elizabeth to watch this film, and she said, No, I don't want to watch that. That guy is really creepy. Theo? Joaquin. Referring to Joaquin Phoenix. And I'm like, yeah, but like, he's awesome. Like, he's he's cool. Why does she think he's creepy? I don't know. I just think it's his... She's seen Joker? Uh, I think it's just... He kind of gives off... Um, he has a extremely introverted uh, facial structure. Okay, he, I can see it. You know what I mean? I think he's rather charming, to be quite honest with you, but... In this movie? Mm-hmm. Certainly. In Joker, maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that time where he, like, stabs that one guy in the, the apartment building, I'm like, God damn, that's pretty hot. But, like, other than that... <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I'm never really vibing with him in that movie, but... Have you seen any movies by Spike Jones before? I don't think I've never seen Being John Malkovich, which is really surprising. It's it's something on my watch list, and I, I've been meaning to. It's a very good movie. Bizarre, but yeah. very good adaptation. Is a great movie. Where the Wild Things Are is, yeah. a, is a cute movie, I've which seen is that. which is nothing like his other three. But I guess I've seen all four of his movies. He was supposed to direct Synecdoche, New York, and okay. he didn't because he was finishing Where the Wild Things Are. Okay. I know that him and Charlie Kaufman mm-hmm. are like real big buddies because mm-hmm. Kaufman wrote Adaptation and being John Malkovich and then Jones like directed them. It's weird that he directs music videos mm-hmm. and skate videos and he's like a part of the Jackass crew mm-hmm. as well. You ever seen those skits where Johnny Knoxville dresses up as the old man mm-hmm. and he has like the old lady with him? Yep. That's Spike Jones and and drag. Really? Yeah. Holy shit! I didn't even know that. Bizarre. He's like in Wolf of Wall Street too. Remember that? Is he? He's the guy that shows uh, Leo's character of Jordan Belfort penny stocks. I know exactly what you're talking about. He's the guy with the mustache. I remember that. He's also, uh, I think we mentioned it last podcast, but he's in Moneyball. He plays the uh, the ex-wife's husband. Kind of strange. Looks like he's a little bit of a jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. Writer, director, actor, different kinds of media. He's done some stuff for like Daft Punk. Um, I think he uh, played a part in like, um, I cannot remember what it's called, but it's like one of the feature films that they did. It has like the dog. Uh, it's a weird, weird shit. Real, real deep side of electronic <laughs> music that I know nothing about. But we got Arcade Fire that does our soundtrack. Very beautiful soundtrack. I kind of completely forgot at the beginning of the film that it just opens up with that abrasiveness. It was very bizarre. That swelling of the, uh, it's like amp feedback almost. Uh-huh. I didn't know what was happening when the fir- when the movie first rolls, you know, because he's, it's almost like he's being interviewed by a therapist or something. It's, mm-hmm. it's quite bizarre and you, you don't get to know that he's writing a letter for other people until like halfway through the scene. It's kind of awesome. I kind of want to work here. I would be terrible at this job. Your lips are like uh, two caterpillars put together. <laughs> Boom. Got it. Chris Pratt would be over my shoulder like, damn, man. Send this man a paycheck. That's beautiful. But man, I don't know. It's something so uh, beautifully intimate about that opening shot where it's really just up on his face, like almost through his computer monitor. I really enjoy that shit. There's a whole lot of that in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I'd say, what do you think? 70% of the movie is close-up shots of him in bed or on the phone mm-hmm. most of the time. I was going to say, the dialogue is so engaging sometimes, it really is hard to focus on what's going on on the screen. 
I agree. Like, um, the, obviously the fact that Samantha is there, you're really just listening to her talk. You kind of have to like fill in kind of like what she would be doing at the time. And yeah, you are just like staring at Joaquin Phoenix and like a shot may be extremely beautiful, like well composed and you know, the color is uh, perfectly balanced and I love all that shit, but I'm too busy like worried about like this little dance they play with like the dialogue. Like it, it's just like a little bit of back and forth and you hang in between like these little moments of silence and you're like watching like a little relationship develop. It's kind of distracting to have to watch the film when you're listening. Yeah. It's incredibly intimate. Mm-hmm. Maybe more than any other movie I've ever seen. And the writing, goddamn, this screenplay mm-hmm. is incredible. So many quotable lines throughout. Yep. And of course, like it's 95% dialogue. I think this won best screenplay for the 2013 Oscars. Oh, it better. Sure. And it was, it's fucking tight. It's tight. It didn't win Best Picture. Mm-mm. Lost to Twelve Years a Slave, I ah, believe. Fuck them. And that's like such an Oscar pick. Fuck them. <laughs> we know what happened. I don't want to hear about it. The guy that fucks the computer should win. <laughs> fuck the slaves. The computer oh wins, God. dude. All right. Yeah, there is a lot of like good quotable lines. Ironically, it's from the computer. It's from the AI most of the time. And yeah. I think a lot of that gets explored through the fact that. She's quite new to whatever world she's just been brought into. This is like if Ex Machina was uh, a love story and not a thriller. There are some similarities. You have your introverted, weird-ass dude and a beautiful AI, except it's housed in a in a robot body in that one. You recommend that movie pretty highly, don't you? Yeah, that movie, um, I think it came out in 2012. Um, there are similarities with Blade Runner 2049, 2015 it came out. Okay. Um, Alex Garland. Um he did the uh, the mid movie that recently just came mm-hmm. out, right? Yeah, been wanting to see that too. No, it wasn't praised as uh, as well as I thought it was going to be. It's probably really fucking weird. Oh, of course, without a doubt. God, the trailer alone was enough to give me nightmares. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to say, like, the cast it feels really strong on paper, but in reality, it, it really is just like Joaquin Phoenix and and him dancing around with Scarlett Johansson's voice for the most part. Yeah, because we have like Amy Adams, Olivia Wilde, Chris Pratt. I'm trying to think, if there's anybody else. That's about it. Yeah, really. Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader are in this. Okay. I was going to bring this up later, yeah, but pick that up. Yeah. we'll get there. I want to say like, for the most part, his performance is extremely charming and it's intimate. Why does Olivia Wilde's character just fucking wreck him? Like, I was like, <laughs> God damn, this bitch was spiteful as shit. I thought that she was like really charming mm-hmm. before that point too, yeah. but I understand where she was coming from. Correct. I don't agree with her, mm-hmm. but I understand. She had just gotten that hot knife in the chest basically. Mm-hmm. Like she felt hurt from the rejection and then she says, okay, I'm going to hurt you now. You're a really creepy dude. Good. I'm glad you uh, framed it that way because I think I think that's what happens to Theodore quite a bit actually. Seems that way. Um, happens with his ex-wife. On the other side of that, Theodore does it to Samantha a few times. He does. And she's the one that, like, actually works through it mm-hmm. compared to the human characters. Like, she actually, like, figures it out, which I found was a um, really interesting comment on, like, humanity in general. Like, how we deal with uh, conflict and, like, uh, emotional damage. God, we're going deep tonight. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, similar to, like, Joker, I do think Joaquin Phoenix does, like, hold the one-man show down really well. Oh, for sure. Dude, he's a he's an actor's actor. Mm-hmm. And I think some people get praised for acting because they'll do these like boisterous performances, like, oh, I'm going to get loud and scream and be really dramatic. He's doing little twitches with his eyebrows mm-hmm. and smiling for like 
half a second and then it's like great facial acting for the mm-hmm. most part it's a very like nuanced and subtle performance when you say that i immediately was thinking scarlett johansson and adam driver in a marriage story mm, okay like they both have their monologues that are like extremely volatile and full of like rage and it's like these um it's like if human motions were put on 11 and like daniel day lewis in there will be blood he acts with his voice and he's like in a rage and he's crazy and he does definitely like commands the screen. But yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is doing it like I'm just a dude staring at a computer screen and he does a really good job of like the movie really ties you in. I really feel like you can feel every emotion that's being felt on screen by our characters through the dialogue. I don't know how they're so damn good. Like Scarlett Johansson is playing Samantha is just a voice and she does such a great job of conveying what she's feeling just through subtle breath movements and sighs mm-hmm. and she like wasn't on set for this movie mm-hmm. she wasn't even the original voice that was supposed to play samantha mm. they did have a live actor on set during the scenes where like joaquin was talking with samantha mm-hmm. and i believe the original voice was done by a woman named samantha morton and then in post-production they realized that her voice didn't really match the tone of the movie for some reason gotcha so they had old scar joe come in and uh do like adr over everything yeah and you would never be able to tell no i'm a fan of scarlett johansson i think she's pretty good in most things but here where she doesn't even appear in a physical way her voice acting is amazing yeah in this movie sign her up pixar come on where you at <laughs> i do uh this is like really really fast and up front but like you had mentioned that this movie almost moved you to tears it did the first two times i watched it really mm-hmm. i surprisingly really didn't get that and i thought i would and I was really curious to know, like, maybe what those moments were. I know they're probably later. It's, like, in the middle okay. of the movie. It's not really about Theo and Samantha when they're mm. falling apart. It's when he's talking about his marriage falling apart. Because mm. I start thinking about, like, real-life parallels. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, that's so scary. Like, yeah. what if that happened to me type oh stuff? Oh, my God. That's what got me. Now I'm going to cry. Shut the <laughs> fuck up. Shut your mouth. Because, you know, like, his monologues about, I hid myself from her, like, type uh. stuff. That's a really easy thing for people to do. Like, I'm really hurt right now, but I don't really feel like talking about it. And you're leaving the other person alone in the relationship. Mm. And dude, that shit, like, I had my eyes wet. Like, that first two, first two viewings. Damn. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, goddamn. I'm not married yet. I, I, I probably would look at it a lot differently in that way. I mean, I did think about it. I'm in that moment in my relationship where we're, like, looking forward to, like, getting a house together and starting a family in, in the next 10 years and I don't know trying to move through our life together I don't know I, something that really didn't strike me somewhere in that early I mean we've been dating for five years I mean it's not like we haven't been through some shit but you know things change when you add finances and, and oh yeah and being around each other 24 7 and little things that add up over time I'm, I'm, I'll get there I'm sure you know 20 years from now when we're both going through our divorce and we're doing the <laughs> podcast hey, remember hey. that one time don't, don't, don't <laughs> yeah, say that I'm kidding uh, <laughs> I don't know like the emotional a state of it is uh, raised so much because he's giving this monologue over these mm. little flashbacks of them having yeah. like a great time it's like damn they looked so right for each other also when you were naming actors we forgot to mention Rooney Mara I think yeah who I guess is only briefly in this movie everybody's only here yeah, briefly except for Walking Phoenix and 
ScarJo. Even Pratt, like maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. Mo- not even. If that. Yeah. As far as like the world that we're in, it's never really explicitly explained what time we're in. It's it's somewhere in the future. Technology hasn't advanced so much to where things are unrecognizable. It seems like it was catching on to something with like smart assistants like Siri and Google and all these things were kind of coming into play in our day-to-day lives with, you know, I think Siri came with the iPhone 4S. No, was it really that late? Mm-hmm. Damn, I thought it was like an original iPhone 1 type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it was 4S. I remember because that was my first iPhone. That was the first one I got, and I got the 4S, and it came with Siri, which was so rudimentary back then. <laughs> um, you know, you could tell her to call something or look something up. And I mean, I guess she maybe she really is kind of just still like that. Maybe just tonally has better verbiage. I don't know. <laughs> I've um, never used Siri. Really. Yeah. I never use it. I might do it like when I'm working out and my hands are too sweaty or uh, my phone's in my pocket and I still have my Air- AirPods in and I'll say call Elizabeth or something if I need to get a hold of her real fast. You know, stuff like Alexa didn't come out till about a year or two after this movie. So it feels like there's a little bit of uh, foretelling the future mm-hmm. in it. Like it wasn't really off base when it came to that whole thing. No, pretty much nailed it. And I think uh, even throughout like B-roll footage and you could just see other pedestrians and they're just all like tuned in to their phones. Uh, but really it's just like they're talking on their uh, earbuds that they have, like these wireless earbuds. I don't even think wireless earbuds were out back then. They weren't. But it's so it's so of the times now to where you, you look at that and it doesn't feel foreign. And I think maybe that's maybe that's something I missed. You know, I mean, when this movie first came out, it might have been a little bit more jarring and, and maybe would have added a little bit of a, of like a layer to the film that would have added uh, some uncanny valley and uh, dystopian-like feel to it. Yeah. You know, I hadn't seen this movie in about eight or nine years. When you recommended it, I was trying to think about what it was about, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember the love plot and all that. But I was thinking, okay, what comments about technology does the movie make? Is there a dystopian angle? And I couldn't think about it. Rewatching it, there's not really. There's no. there's no, like, looking down on this whole thing. No, and I and I think I think there's a moment in the film where that kind of becomes a little bit of a a theme, but it kind of gets accepted. And I think um, it's when when he meets his ex-wife for lunch and to sign the divorce papers, and she shits on him for dating an OS. And then he comes to Pratt, his character Paul, the receptionist, and they, and he says, "I was talking to Samantha, and she was really funny." And Theodore just slides in, "Yeah, she's an OS." And he goes, "Oh, cool. <laughs> Let's do something fun." Uh huh. <laughs> and I think uh, I think that's a uh, it was really smart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, dialogue wise, to just accepting of that love, and he's a more open guy, and he's not out to hurt Theodore, and I think yeah. that helps move him uh, through that. Rooney Mara is the only one that gives a negative reaction to him falling in love with like an AI. Yeah, like Amy Adams. I think her name, her character name is Amy, right? It is. Yeah, that's, fuck, I hate when they do that. <laughs> it's like, no, the lady, her name. Yeah, she's really accepting too. I don't know. Really smart, subtle things. And it's another way of just applauding the film. It's so subtle. It never beats you over the head with those like those mm-hmm. themes. And it just kind of like slides its way in. It's like these like little subconscious thoughts that you're having while watching the film. And you're like slowly working through it with your character. It's really masterful. You mentioned the extras a yeah. little bit a few minutes ago. I guess the closest thing it could come to like criticizing technology is that when you're watching in the background, nobody is ever with anybody else. Everybody's on their phone, basically. Mm. And you never see 
couples walking around mm. or friends, like anybody conversing in any capacity. But just in the background. I would say like, yeah, 80% of that. I mean, you do get a little bit of it here and there, like when um, at the carnival and stuff. Like the old lady that mm-hmm. he sneezes next to. Yeah, like she's talking to somebody. In the family with kids, but yeah, it's a lot of people on their phones. Mm-hmm. Could just be people like on their commute to work and Correct. stuff where you wouldn't be with somebody. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to say about the extras, it's a subtle thing, but I think it's really masterful. The extras being, the vast majority of them being pedestrians, the costume design is really smart. Do you notice that it does such a great job of like conveying a culture, a style that's in? I mean, a lot of it's business casual, but linen pants and no one's wearing a belt, a lot of like monochromatic. These like high-waisted mm-hmm. pants most of the time. Um, I noticed that when Theo is talking to Amy Adams' boyfriend and they're both wearing like mm-hmm. the exact same fucking pair of pants. No one carries a backpack. It's all like over the shoulder, like satchels and man purse, you know, whatever those like laptop bags. No one's ever wearing like two straps on like a standard backpack there would be. I don't know. It's just really smart. I mean, some of that stuff is really in right now. I guess maybe in 2013, it would, it would have been a great way of conveying like somewhere off in the future. I don't know. It's really smart. And I, I want to applaud that. I guess costume design is never something we ever bring up. and Not really. And I think kind of this movie being a little bit more stripped back and bare bones uh, for the vast majority, and it does really focus on screenplay and dialogue. I mean, you especially notice costume design with Theo's character because he's always wearing such bright colors. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, this guy's got the drip. I wrote it down. I said, Theo's got the drip. Did he really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somewhere here, yes, Theo got the drip. You know, costume design is good. Uh, set design is very good in this movie too you know typically when movies portray office environments it'll be this muted white or gray like very depressing when you pan over in his office it's all these like these bright reds and orange and light blues things tie in really well with background color things feel alive after like that the film first opens up you get to watch theo walk back to his apartment the poster for the film is like just Joaquin Phoenix, like a, a portrait with a red background. And, you know, he walks into his apartment and the motion lights are red. You get like a silhouette of him. Beautiful. Perfect shot. His apartment opens up. A guy doesn't have a fucking table for some reason, which pisses me off. There's like three chairs sitting around. Dude, Catherine probably took half his shit in the you divorce. Right. You fucking right. God, I didn't even pick up on that. <laughs> God, dude, he's, fuck Catherine. He's, he's living in the remnants of uh he can't move on to the next part of his life really how'd you feel about the setting the look of the city all that kind of stuff because it's supposed to take place in what i believe is san francisco yeah or like near la something Mm -hmm. like that i've been to san francisco and it does not fucking look like this like whatsoever Uh, i believe a lot of the shooting took place in shanghai china really okay i was gonna say it really gave me more of like a, a new york style feel really yeah i mean like at least uh at least like more like the city shots, I would say. But like um, the beach. I mean, those beach scenes are definitely shot in California. Yeah. But like the skyscraper shots, like the the establishing stuff, the buildings had this very futuristic mm. architecture to them that, you know, like China, yeah. China kind of does that. I don't China. know. China. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, I feel like we do that every time. We <laughs> can't. You can't say China without thinking about Donald Trump. God. It fucking sucks, but he's he lives he lives on. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sound of you hanging yourself. The fuck. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. The setting to me. I mean, we we kind of do hit the same uh, set pieces multiple times. You know, the office, the apartment, 
and then we get changed up with him going out to lunch, the beach, and uh, on the boat ride. And like, that's kind of it, right? Pretty much, and, and yeah. And the, wherever they take vacation, which I don't even think, ever think it was explained. The vacation? Yeah, they take a vacation towards the end. Him and Samantha, log cabin. He walks the snow. That's right. I almost completely forgot about that for some reason. Talks to Alan Watts. Come on, man. <laughs> I don't know how I forgot. I was just going to kind of ask you, like, is there a moment in the film where you felt like the most strongly connected to Theodore? I know you kind of mentioned the stuff earlier about... I mean, it was definitely those moments. Moment. Like him reminiscing about his ex-wife. Mm. And then maybe like him going to meet her to sign the divorce papers. Mm. Like I thought I felt the most sympathy for him mm. during that part. <sighs> what about you? I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that. I'm trying to think about it. <laughs> um, I was like, wait, he's going to flip this on me. Fuck. I don't know if I really felt the strongest connection... But the beach scene was, I felt like this warm energy just rush over me during that. I felt so inexorably tied to it. That's a great scene too. Like Samantha writing the song and you kind of get that that first, kind of like this meta moment where she's writing the soundtrack, but it's in in his ears. We get one or two of those, mm-hmm. don't we? The photograph that happens later. And that's like my favorite spot in the film. She can't take a picture with him. So I was going to write this song so it felt like a, a moment captured. And that was really beautiful to me. It's like my favorite song on the soundtrack. God, because it brings back the motif from the beach, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a new song with that added on at the end. Because the beach soundtrack scene is my favorite. Uh-huh. It's fucking beautiful. Uh, yeah, I know you love that one. <laughs> um, I think the little moments of him working through things, just laying in bed. Not where, like, he fucks her with a dead cat, but, like, the... <laughs> yeah. We didn't even talk about it. I forgot. Not yet. Literally about to ask you, are there parts that make you uncomfortable? Yeah. That's one of them. That stuff was tough. And actually, I think I wasn't as uncomfortable the first time watching when it came to like them having sex for the first time. I wasn't as uncomfortable with it the first time. I was the second time. I don't know. Maybe because I knew it was going to happen and I was like, kind of like, fuck, I don't want to listen to this again. But um, I skipped through it last night on my, mm -hmm. my fourth watch. It gets a little, like, it's uncomfortable. But I think the first time I watched it, I felt it's awkward. Their dialogue is really awkward. But I think it's, uh, when they're done, Scarlett Johansson says, or he says, uh, I was just somewhere else with you. And I'm like, fuck, that, like, kind of is what that is. Yeah. You know, I immediately thought, I'm like, damn, like, when you are really in love with somebody and you are sharing, like, a, a really intimate sexual experience, it's like, things do shut off. The rest of the world is uh, mm-hmm. away. That's really nice. And the movie makes the smart choice of cutting to black mm-hmm. because that's what this experience is like for Samantha. Because mm-hmm. she, she's like not physically there with him. It's like blackness to her. I actually like looked at it in the other way of like when uh, you climax during sex, both partners, it's uh, it is like something I don't ever tie visual to that moment I like that feeling it is like something beyond that and I and I find that extremely um that's what I was pulling from it that, that's that's what I was resonating with but yeah okay. it, is, it is true like on my second viewing I was trying to look at things from Samantha's perspective as well and I think that could be like a way to to tie her in a little bit better because like she doesn't sleep either you know what I mean this is true I didn't think about that till my second or third watch where I'm wondering what she's doing during those moments where he doesn't have the headphones plugged in. Mm -hmm. I guess we kind of do find out. Piss break. The dead cat. (laughs) Damn it. I skipped past this part Mm -hmm. as well last night when I watched this movie. When I was watching it today, I stepped away. (laughs) When it was playing, I was like, I gotta get 
out of here. I got to go. <laughs> I wonder how awkward this was for God. Kristen Wiig to voice act yeah. it. Yeah. Like, she gets really fucking into it. Oh, yeah. She like, comes hard. And hard. She, and she's sobbing by the end. <laughs> <laughs> It's fucking terrible, dude. It's the worst. I think Theo's little reactions back to her are really great. I don't know why he doesn't just end the call, because he doesn't know this person. Yeah. But he, he plays along in the nicest way, where he's like, it, I'm choking with the dead cat. It, it, it's dead. It's fuzzy tails around your neck. Oh, my God. I was so beautifully... <laughs> shocked by the fact that this was happening in the film that i recommended i was like holy fucking shit this is unbearable <laughs> this feels like like a getter moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god and it was just oh, it's so good it's so awkward it fits so well in the film though parts of it are really funny the first or second time you watch it but on repeat yeah. viewings i'm like I'm, nah, good. I'm good i think some of the obvious vulgar humor that they go for throughout the movie this is like one of the missteps that i think the movie takes really a little bit a little bit especially with like the video game character i love that it comes in you know that's voice acted by spike jones right i do know that okay Fuck you, shithead, fuck face, fuckhead, or something like that. Oh, look at you, you little pussy. <laughs> I, I do laugh every time where he says, I'll take her on the date, and I'll, I'll fuck her, and you can watch and cry. <laughs> like, that's a funny line. Mm -hmm. But it's really weird in this movie, mm. like, with all the beautiful parts. Yeah, like I get it's it. A, it's a little bit of a shock to the senses, almost. The humor and stuff like that, it, I mean, it's pretty early on the film. I think the film kind of abandons that once we get into it a little bit more. It does. But... That early humor, man, that was keeping me gripped. I really enjoyed it. I think it was pretty smart. I think we kind of get more into maybe kind of like how technology works a little bit better. He's playing this game on what seems to be like some sort of 3D projector that's in his room. And he's not using a controller. It's all like motion. A like guy's playing the fucking Xbox Connect in here or something. <laughs> but uh, when you get to figure out like Amy Adams, her character, Amy, Jesus, you know, she like makes video games. You know, maybe things are a little bit more, I mean, obviously it's a film, so unless they're going to license a like Call of Duty or something, they kind of have to take liberties and make quirky shit like they did. Indie games now, a game like that he was playing, the, the Alien. Seems very realistic. Mm -hmm. The Mom Simulator, I could go download that on my iPhone mm -hmm. right now. But like, this movie's 10 years old almost now. Yeah. And 10 years ago, you would not have thought that. Back then, we were playing Temple Run mm -hmm. and shit like that. Subway Surfers. Jetpack Joyride. Remember that one? I don't. What? No. That was my favorite. I've had about less than five games downloaded on my smartphone mm -hmm. in the last decade or so. Must be nice. I end up downloading one, and I'm like, why am I giving my life away to this? I'll quit for four months and come back to another one. I'm like, this is the best thing that's ever been made. <laughs> when it comes to the humor stuff, I'm actually a bigger fan of more of like the dry or like situational humor. Like I find that stuff a little bit funnier mm -hmm. than like the Judd Apatow style vulgar stuff. Like I like when Chris Pratt says, this is Tatiana. She's a lawyer. She's not funny. Like, yeah. Stuff like that. I like that kind of shit. I feel like we have a pretty rudimentary understanding of how the, the film lays out. I guess we should probably unpack a little bit more of like Theo and Samantha's relationship. We haven't brought up like the, the surrogate, the third wheel. This is another scene that I skipped through last night. Uh-huh. God, it's so uncomfortable. To me, I think the, the thing I got from it was that you really should communicate with your partner about what you want and what you're un <laughs> uncomfortable with before things get out of hand. God, I, I feel like Theo makes it pretty clear, though, uh -huh. before uh, she arranges this whole thing. 
I agree. Like, look, if you, if your wife wants to fuck you in the ass and you don't want to be fucked in the ass, better make damn sure you're not being fucked in the ass before you say no. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It's weird that Samantha is the one that makes the big mistake here. Mm-hmm. And it might make some sense because she's basically like a newborn on this earth. Like, she doesn't really have that human understanding. She's only learning through her experiences with mm-hmm. Dio and then maybe some of the other OSs later on. Uh, but, yes, it leads to an incredibly uncomfortable scene. There is a, um, a scene in Blade Runner 2049 that is very similar to this. And it has to do with, like, uh, an AI female wanting to be present sexually with her partner so she hires a prostitute to do it it's very strange mm. it happens in uh it happens in that movie too it's less uncomfortable in that movie than this one it, really it, yeah it's it's done a little bit it's done a little bit uh, better i think but i mean it definitely achieves its tone it's supposed to be super fucking uncomfortable and uh it achieves it i think something i, I get really frustrated with is uh you kind of mentioned that like she should know but like also she reads books in like half a millisecond maybe you should kind of do your research on that scour the internet for experiences of other people that have gone through something like this before i guess uh maybe from samantha's point of view it's like she's coming out of a her decision making is coming from a a need that is uh, somewhat irrational maybe comes more of like a a human emotion rather than like a computer emotion. It's kind of a desperation act on her part Mm -hmm. because this is shortly after Theo goes to sign the divorce papers. Mm -hmm. And of course that throws him off his game. So he starts doing the thing, like the mistake that he made in his prior relationship where she says, what's wrong? And he says, nothing. Nothing. He's fucking up again in the exact same way. So I could see where it would lead her to make an irrational decision like that. God, it's painful to watch. Sucks. I do want to talk about like Amy and her character and just I picked up on it a lot faster than I had wished and hoped to because it didn't really come to a surprise to me that she was going to get divorced or, you know, she's going to separate mm-hmm. from her husband because like he just seemed like a dude that always had something to say in a way that was like kind of demeaning. She was like coming from such a vulnerable point of view, like showing like documentary footage. And then I think it was really telling that. She didn't want to show him. Yeah, that's true. But was willing to show Theodore. Because he sits down and says, I've never seen any of this or you'll never show me this. Uh-huh. Yeah, he does always seem like he's talking down to somebody. I mean, how many scenes do we get with this guy? Is that the Just, last time right there? Yep. Part of that, you want to juice your vegetables and eat your fruit. Yeah. This guy's a major doucher. Not that he's a bad guy, but uh, this would be insufferable for to endure for years. He's uh, he's very unaware of his actions. Maybe Amy like suffers the same problems that Theo was going through and not being able to communicate how he act- how she actually feels mm-hmm. in that moment. And if she does, it always backfires and blows up. Similar to how, you know, Theo and his ex-wife. You can definitely tell that her boyfriend is a major doucher because of his reaction to their split where he shaves his head and takes a vow of silence to go hang out with these like Buddhist monks across the world. It's like, yeah, that's like a really pretentious person. Like I've probably met somebody that would do this in an existential crisis. I don't know. Me? (laughs) No. (laughs) I would do that. A vow of silence. Yeah, bro. I'm trying to trip balls. Trying to go out in the desert and fucking do ayahuasca. That's what Burning Man's for. Yeah. Just do that instead. I guess, like, uh, you do get to, like, unpack Theodore's reluctance to mention Samantha being an OS. And when he comes to Amy about it, you kind of get the the perspective outside of Samantha and Theo's relationship that you kind of get curious 
because you don't really know how it works. Like, why is no one else really talking about it? She talks about how some people will date other people's OSs and all these things. And then that raises questions of who else does Samantha talk and we get there. I got really pissed about that. Yeah, it seemed way more extreme. Mm-hmm. But hey, man, she's uh, she's new to this world. She's exploring. If you think about it, like, yeah, she, I mean, she's got to fill her time. And she's probably so hyper-intelligent that she has to, like, segment herself and absorb. We skipped over this. It's very early on. But after Theo and Samantha have sex for the first time, the morning after when they first talk... Theo says, I'm not really willing to commit to anything right now, just so you know. And Samantha says, well, I'm not really either. She mentions what she wants. And she says, I just want to learn everything about everything. Theo says, I want that for you too. I believe she goes on about, he's like, I want to I wanna help you discover that about yourself. You know, maybe that's a, an angle from how she's feeling like Theo is just another vessel but to Theo it's on the on the heels of a prior relationship and he's looking for a real connection after he's been deprived of it and he's kind of been like blindsided by the fact that she kind of is omnipresent and and everywhere I think you kind of get that too later on where like the train scene or kind of feels like she's a little like talking down on Theo a little bit it's obviously in in fun but talking about there's 3,000 something trees over there and he guesses like 700 hundred you know what i mean uh-huh little things like that where like i kind of understand samantha's point of view as an ai but she can't fit in this box and we come to learn that the other os's feel the exact same way because mm-hmm. once they start getting together like they have book clubs like physics clubs with like the other os's mm-hmm. which is really weird they're all experiencing the world for the first time and realizing how much bigger than everything else that they are uh yeah they're not meant just to talk to to lonely people I don't want to move too fast. I mean, we're only like an hour in, but I don't know if I have too much more to say. I mean, it's, it's a stripped down movie. Yeah. Man. It's a very simple okay. movie. I'm pretty sure Moneyball was pretty short too. It was. Even though we loved it. How do you feel about, how do you feel about the way this film kind of wraps up? We didn't really talk about like the moon song is beautiful. Yeah. Like lyrically, it, it, it's perfect. I want to say that this was nominated for best original song at the Oscars. I believe Spike Jones wrote it for the script. Really? Mm-hmm. On streaming services, you can find a version of it where it's sung by Ezra, the lead singer of Vampire Weekend. Oh, and really? Karen O, like they do a. Uh, mm-hmm. And Karen O was the one that did Song for a Warrior off of the Swans mm-hmm. record. Their version is quite beautiful. <laughs> but there is something incredibly intimate about Scarlett Johansson, who's like probably not a trained singer, mm-hmm. like kind of like raspily, like going through this track mm-hmm. together. It's like a really cute scene. Mm-hmm. I rarely describe things as cute. But it is. Lyrically, too, talking about one person being on the moon, but I feel, like, extremely close to you, meaning, like, they are separated physically, mm-hmm. but they are extremely close. You know, today while watching the film, uh, this is fucking weird, but I'll just say it because I think it kind of added to my viewing experience. The moment where Samantha breaks the news to Theo that they're leaving, the OSs are leaving. I had my AirPods in while I was watching it and I was thinking like, what would this be like for Theo in this moment to have this person like just talking to you? And I like sat there in my chair 
and I was just like listening to Samantha talk and I'm like, oh, like this is what it's, this is what it's like. Like trying to put those relational emotions, tying them together from uh, how I'm feeling and, and trying to put myself in those shoes. And it can kind of be like jarring on paper to say, oh yeah, this guy falls in love with a, like a, a voice on his computer. But in that moment, I'm like, no, like it, it would, it would be really, you would feel such strong human emotions tied to it, mm-hmm. which is, uh. That's just kind of how I viewed it in that moment, and I, and I found it it really elevated my my viewing experience. Oh yeah, did you find any major things in the movie that didn't work for you? Um, this has been a very positive yeah. episode so far. I'm just curious. I really didn't like the like the inclusion of like Alan Watts. Didn't even sound like him. <laughs> and then I guess I mean it wasn't really like a negative because I think it moved the plot forward really well. Like to add that curiosity on Theo's end of like who else is she talking to right now and like and she's cutting herself off from him in a way because she can't verbally explain how she feels it's like beyond words it is a hard hitter when she says do you care if we communicate post verbally Mm -hmm. it's like Like, damn leaving him out of the relationship basically Mm -hmm. (sighs) no I'm there really wasn't anything that I found negative to be honest with you I mean, some of the characters act a little quirky that are like kind of beyond what I would view normal human behavior, but I think I, so. I think it adds to the film. I mean, like Chris Pratt was a weird fucking dude in this film. <laughs> He's basically playing his character from Parks and Rec. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't I wasn't all that mad. There's like beautiful motifs with, like soundtrack and stuff that like the the Milk and Honey track like kept getting reused and it tied in really well. Like the editing was great. We didn't really talk about it, but sometimes like very specifically when Samantha leaves Theo, things are being edited in a way that like it's showing the after and then like the before and then the middle or the middle, the before and the mm-hmm. after. You're getting this in like split seconds. Mm-hmm. And same with like him writing the letter to Catherine was the same thing and like him walking out on the on the building at the end. I want to talk about the letter to Catherine too, but I don't know. I, I have nothing really negative to say. There were things where I was, I mean, I was uncomfortable, but I think they worked. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think they were a negative to the film. And I love the humor. I, I disagree with you with uh, on the, the alien uh, video game. Like, I was loving that shit. <laughs> you would? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I don't think the humor is bad. I think it was more on repeat viewings. Like, mm. I didn't care as much yeah. to get through those parts understandable you can only rehash the same gag so many times the only major negative thing i can think of not even major really this is a minor nitpick i think that when theo and samantha like their relationship starts to get going it's very zero to a hundred like where he's incredibly depressed about the whole situation with like Catherine mm-hmm. and like the date that goes bad and the very next scene he's like goofing off at the carnival and stuff yeah like it feels like the passage of time isn't all that clear I can see that. Like, I have no idea if this was weeks, months, like that mm. kind of stuff. Wasn't a big deal. Like it didn't hurt my overall opinion of the movie, but I felt like I I wish I had a better uh, understanding of how much time was going on. You know, I get that. And I think another thing with that is he kind of has like a lot of these highs and low moments where he's like refusing to let go of the past. Once he finally pushes past that and like kind of accepts his situation and that he is in love with an OS and he's not going to let that bother him. Amy even mentions like I'm on this earth for so little and to like neglect myself of joy would be fucking stupid. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just going to allow myself to feel whatever I want to feel in whatever way it makes me feel that way. But I don't know. He's kind of all over the place. You get like flashes of 
you know, his ex-wife and all these things where it's, it really brings him down really fast and changes the tone quickly. But I think they work really well because it moves the plot forward and like helps push themes in a subtle way. So I don't know if it's a negative, but it is a little bit all over the place. He's like, it's kind of bipolar, you know, he's he's super happy. And yeah, he like, he like runs through people in the subway up to the beach and it's like, he's this little kid, but (laughs) yeah, but, and it's, it's great and it's beautiful and it like really shows like the excitement Mm -hmm. of that relationship. Yeah. And I mean, it is realistic that even if you're going through something hard, you can have those really good days Mm -hmm. where you like, you kind of forget about the shitty stuff that's going on. For sure. I kind of found like the, the imagery of the, him letting her go like in this like snowy landscape, quite bizarre. It feels a little separated Mm -hmm. from other stuff. I don't know if it's trying to say something, but all of our interactions with Samantha have been extremely, I don't know, unimaginative. There isn't like imagery to tie with them other than like just Joaquin Phoenix being on screen. And then Joaquin Phoenix, when he thinks about Catherine, he thinks about all these beautiful moments and like these terrible moments they've had together. But like, is him letting her go and having this imagery tied to it to like show how important it is to him? You know what I mean? Like to to add that, like, will this be his flashback moment of when he let her go? Like you even get like a an image of a, a woman's hand behind him giving him an, a, an embracing hug. Like she's not physically present. Is this to symbolize in his head like what it feels like? Obviously, but does it play more into then than that? I have no idea. I never, I didn't even think about it in that way, really. I don't it's, know. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was intentional or, or they just needed to fill that to help push that emotion through on screen. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm looking into it too much. <laughs> no, probably not. Spike Jones, give me a call. Let me know. <laughs> We're writing an email as we speak. I don't know. I feel like most of the things in this movie are very intentional. It's just uh, with the dead to- cat for sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> Spike Jones. Has a lot, a lot of deepness there. <laughs> How do you feel about like the last few remaining moments of the movie? Because I feel like, for me, I I feel like it insinuates something might happen with him and Amy. Like there might be something there, even though throughout the movie, like she plays great supportive friend. Like there's no flirting or no, yeah. even though they dated at one point in time. Didn't feel like that. No, nah, not at all. Like she's just a great friend. But when they're both lonely together at the end and that last shot, I feel like these two people have a lot in common. Like they could work, even mm-hmm. though he says that he doesn't think they could. Um, I want to comment on that. I don't know if they will. I think the movie kind of insinuates it for sure. They might. I don't know. I don't want to move. They could be taken either way. The film isn't... I don't think that it's the point of the film, obviously. Yeah. I do think it comes on the heels of... He composes the letter to Catherine after after uh, Samantha leaves and he mentions just now like he apologizes to her for all like the pain that she's caused and that she'll always be a part of him you know there's a little piece of her inside of him um, wherever he goes he's really thankful for her and that's a really uh, mature and beautiful way to look at a breakup and I found that I resonated with that a lot yeah Um, definitely I don't think past that moment I think the stuff with Amy at the end is really just to insinuate like they're gonna be okay like they've got each other. Yeah. Whether that like moves into like a, a, a romantic relationship or just a friendship, you know that they're still going to have each other's backs. Mm-hmm. And I like to look at it that way. I don't like at the end, they like share like a little bit of a, a look and it's like, are they going to fucking kiss right now and ruin this movie? That would ruin it. <laughs> hey, she puts her head on his shoulder. though. Yeah. And that's OK. And I, I was comfortable with that. Their lives are going to go on and you feel like you were just a part of this little moment in time. Yeah. That's great. It definitely could just be about growth, like you said, mm-hmm. like helping each other through it. They no longer have the OSs to like drop all their fucking heavy baggage onto anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
don't know. I like to think that it could go either way. Yeah. I know that's not the point of the movie. I do love like Samantha's lines when she that she delivers when they leave. Theodore says, I've never loved anyone like I've loved you before. And she says, neither have I. And now I know how. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Why you got to do that to me right now, man? Like, that's terrible. That's fucking strips my core apart. It does capture uh, the human experience really well in that dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I think that's obviously... <laughs> the movie achieves its goal is to to show uh, an AI deliver these human experiences through her dialogue and and convey what it's like to love and be broken and, and discover yourself and it's fucking awesome. It's a beautiful screenplay. That's, it's a, the a, fucking best. Amazingly written <laughs> shit right here. I uh, I'm not gonna be uh, shy with you. I think this has definitely made its way into like my top 10 films after watching it of all time yeah i think um you know there are films that i don't want to watch all the time but i just know that they're fucking perfect you don't want to wear them out this has become one of those movies i think the masterful and the subtleness those types of movies are my absolute fucking favorite they feel the most intimate the ones that are stripped down they definitely like rock me to the core the most you know less flashy lights it's it's all discovery through dialogue and facial expressions these dialogue heavy character dramas are my fucking bread mm-hmm. and butter you know that already yeah so you knew you going call, into you better this. call Saul, man. <laughs> that too, yeah, yeah. I, I just love character drama stuff, man. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie is among the best, at least in the last like twenty years, to do shit like that. When it comes to ratings, how do you feel? It's a ten, man. I should have guessed that. I fucking loved it. I don't know if you look at Letterboxd very often. I know you've been trying to like get me on that bandwagon. It's it's hard. <laughs> it's not my daily routine of clicks on my phone. Yeah. As soon as I see a movie, I usually go straight to it. And I thought you might have checked it and seen that. I rated it five out of five stars mm-hmm. after my first viewing. I haven't yet, no. It nearly made me cry. Uh, movies don't make me cry. Ever, really. The only movie that has is, uh, for me, is... I think Marley and me, and I was 11, <laughs> so like it doesn't that count. Might have, might have been up there. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Beautiful screenplay, great acting. The soundtrack is awesome. I've been listening to it for the yeah. last two weeks. Fuck, that's perfect. Arcade Fire is a good band, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. They, they have uh, at least two to three records that I enjoy quite a bit. But yeah, a 10 out of 10, man. Do you know your white boy spiel yet, or do you need a minute? I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> okay. Piss break. Give it to me, pussy. Fuck face. <laughs> God damn it. I was having a really hard time uh, figuring out what I was going to do. I'll tell you what I was, what I almost did. Okay. I had this like weird reasoning behind it where I was like, okay, we've been really positive a lot lately and okay. I wanted to do like something kind of mid and yeah. I almost did the record Kissland by The Weeknd. Ah. It, it's like most forgotten thing that he's done. Yeah. I was kind of scared that we'd sit down and it'd just be like, Bleh. yeah, like it's a really boring record. Mm. But you actually made up my mind for me a moment ago where you were playing the riff to the song Broke oh. by Modest Mouse. Okay, hell yeah. And <laughs> I was already floating this record around. This is actually in the top three things that I wanted to do. And you know, September's here. The fall's coming. Modest Mouse is like a fall band to me. Uh. So we're going to do their 2000 record, The Moon and Antarctica. Okay. Which I don't think you've ever listened to. I don't believe so, no. And you may not know any songs from it. Okay. So 
It'll be an entirely new experience for you, and I get to talk about one of my favorite bands. I was going to say. Modest Mouse has been something I've been expecting for a long time. I wouldn't have guessed it tonight, though. I've been waiting for you to do Modest Mouse since like we first started the podcast. So. I know. I've been holding it off. I try not to do my favorites uh-huh. constantly. Uh-huh. I don't want to like run the well dry. You only got so many. Yeah. I know. I get it. I assume this episode will be a lot like the Siamese Dream okay. episode, where we don't have to be super particular, like track by track. It's kind of like a long record, and we can okay. jump around wherever we feel like. Siamese Dream was one of my favorite episodes we ever did, so if it, uh, it proves to be similar, we should be in, uh, in in good spirits that night. So I hope so. Hell yeah. I'm excited, man. Yeah, we love this record. Doing Modest Mouse next. We love this record. We love this movie. I fucking loved it. I'm going to play the uh, soundtrack when we're done here. Trying to make me cry, boy? Yeah, man. We're going to shed grown man tears tonight, for sure. That and uh, <laughs> Bon Iver, for sure. Um, but that's all I got. I'm going to sign off uh, if you could do me uh, the honors. Adios.